the Cursive Curator on air. I have the pleasure of speaking with fellow fashion mind, woman, woman of color, uh, fashion industry expert, media personality, author, and friend of mine, Tamiko White. Tamiko, welcome to the show. Thank you. Something that will only um, benefit the Cursive Curator. I mean, of course, we have to start there. So my first question for you is, what part of the process of creating garments and creating fashion is art to you? I've, um, I saw that question. I thought it was interesting because I think it's all art. I think everything is art for me as a creative person. And um, and I'm also a business mind, so I'm, I'm duplicitous in that sense. But the, crea- the creator in me, um, I see art in everything. I see art in color. I see it in food. So everything... Um, about the fashion process. All of it is art. Now, just can everyone master every art form within that? No, but um, I do think that design is art and, and sourcing fabric is art. And I think draping is art. And I think inspiration and, and research and resourcing Absolutely. Is, is, is art. I think all of that is, you know, is cre- there's a creative, um, you know, uh, there's, there's such a huge amount of creativity in all of those steps, all those processes. So I think it's in every part of it. I don't think that every part of that appeals to everyone or everyone has the talent for all of it, but it certainly um, is all art to me. And and I'm always inspired, even when I work with people, when they are in their element and doing their art, so to speak. Like, for instance, I'm um, I'm not a draper or a pattern maker by far. But when I'm working with pattern makers or working with like people that make fabric or love fabric and draping and how it feels, I get inspired. I enjoy watching them. It's such a beautiful process to watch. It yeah. is. It is. And it's not my it's not my wheelhouse by far, but I still am inspired and enjoy watching and experiencing them, you know, in their world. And you're forced to do it and watch it in slow motion to get the fabric lined up just right to get the, yeah. the way that you want it to, to show in the lighting, to get that just right. It's very precise. So yeah. it's also, uh, it's, it's art and it's that continued practice and patience too as you follow the process. I love watching that. And you said something that um, I find very interesting and I like that you said it. You said business mind, which oftentimes when people talk about fashion and style, they completely forget that it's a business it's not just pretty clothes yeah it's not just (laughs) it's not just um really cool poses and colorful prints combined and it just worked out on instagram um it's it's its own world and with that you've had the pleasure of sitting with many fashion business forces and creatives i will name drop the icon and influencer and mother diane von furstenberg for you um, and so you know this world as well as you know its critics and admirers. What common myth about fashion creatives um, would you like to see dispelled? I think the biggest one is that um, we don't have a business mind. But sadly, there's some truth to that. So, you know, honestly, I have to say, I, I'd, that's why I'd like to see it dispelled. I'd like to see it changed. That's exactly the one. The All one right. that we, don't, we can't be successful the smart business people and creatively in creative fashion fashion people and profitable you and know i want you to actually, completely undress this please do we have time yeah 
Yeah, well, that's what that's really that's really like I feel like part of my judge. Like that's my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of organically fell into that because I have been in the business many years and uh, many, many, many years, decades now. And um, as I always say, there's an abundance of talent. There's no shortage of creative talent, whether it's communities of color or just generally all over the world. Creativity is, especially the time we live in now, it's almost like it, at its height. You know, the fashion is in every touch point of our lives now, every single day, not only just beauty and personal, but home and food and decor, everything now um, has fashion at its forefront. So it's really an exciting time for that. Uh, but also, you know, with that said, the industry's grown, but people are still, unfortunately, struggling to have profitable businesses. Um, and behind the scenes, behind the curtain, that's always been the thing in fashion. And even some of the major fashion brands that we all know about have, have, have struggled, even with the information and the access and the financing and the ability to, um, you know, invent themselves and stay on top of trends. Even with all of that, it's still in a very unforgiving industry. So um, it's definitely hard when you don't have access to that. So to answer the first question, the myth I'd love to have dispelled is the fact that you can't do both. That it's, it's extremely um, difficult for the masses to do both. And I say that really specifically because, like I said, it's not that it's not possible. We know that, you know, there are some very top, successful top-tier fashion brands. But for the most part, independent fashion designers have a very hard time growing, maintaining, sustaining a brand. I could not have put that better myself. (laughs) This is definitely your thing. This is your wheelhouse. Um, And with more time and perhaps a good Shiraz, I'd rant to you my list. Um, One definitely paralleling exactly what you just shared. Um, And I'll give you full rights to loading all of those into your second book if we ever find the time and we're in the same city and can do so. Um, But first, I want to dive into book one before I start bugging you about book two, careers in the fashion industry. So overview for listeners that have not um, bought themselves this book yet, that have not read this book yet. It's a glossary style guide to careers in the fashion world. And in this reference book, jobs are listed and defined by sub industry. Um, And I love to see this broken down. Design, production, wholesale, retail, merchandising, marketing, fashion media, promotions, the list goes on. So on behalf of those navigating their career in this industry and those that will in the near future, we thank you for this book. What inspired you to write this? Well, um, thank you. And I literally wrote the book from a frequently asked question. And if I, I literally had said, if I had $5 for every cousin, mother, friend of a former boyfriend, sister, aunt, goddaughter, a babysitter who wants to be in fashion but doesn't know what they want to do. <laughs> sure. If I, whether it's on the beach at the vineyard or a friend, someone asking my mother at her job or my aunt has a friend at church, she wants me to call and tell them because their daughter loves fashion or their son loves to do this and he can draw but you know and he wants to be 
a model or she doesn't like taking pictures, but she, you know, um, loves fashion and, and modeling is the only option I know to tell her. Um, that's why I wrote the book because I really realized that there wasn't a lot of information about what jobs were available in the industry. And it's a $3 trillion, a year and a half ago it was $3 trillion. I'm sure it's far exceeded that now. I haven't checked the most recent stats for 2020. I'm, I'm sure it's exceeded that. And it's a $3 trillion global industry. One in six people work in some facet of the fashion industry. Production, to me, completely is like the silent industry in fashion. Mm-hmm. People don't even know what a production manager is. And that is, with, and without that, but for them, we have no clothes. The most basic of, <laughs> <laughs> of garments will not get produced without your production team. Absolutely. I thought it was very interesting that, you know, the fashion show and the modeling and the marketing aspect of fashion got all the attention, but there were five other quote-unquote sub-industries that were that rely on each other they're interdependent and people didn't know that those jobs existed and so I wrote it um you know not you know for you to necessarily go lay on the beach and 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 you know sit down read your book and daydream but really as a reference guide so that people who love fashion and want to figure out how they can get into fashion or love fashion and just don't have the technical fashion background because the truth is everyone's not a designer. And those are technical jobs. Draping, pattern making, design, those are technical jobs. A lot of people don't have those skills and it's not necessarily their thing. But they may be able to merchandise. They may be really good at um, curating. They may be really good at, you know, at even sourcing color or picking trends. International business, accounting. Yeah. All all of these things things have a home in the fashion industry. All of them have a home. And so I really wanted people to read the book with the mindset of what in here matches my passion slash my current skill, depending on where you are in your life, or slash a skill that I would like to develop so I can be in the industry and I can be successful and and make and and be and be profitable and whatever that means to you. Because also sidebar, everyone's not a fashion entrepreneur and I get that. But again, there's so many jobs. You know, even for designers and I say this all the time, um, you can be a designer and you can work for someone. You can be an in house designer. You don't have to be an entrepreneur. People get so frightened by, you know, I'm a designer but you know, then, you know, they don't necessarily want to take on the day-to-day of running a business. Right. And I get that. But you can still be a designer and you can work for someone. You can work in-house at Ralph Lauren. You can work in-house um, for any mass marketer. You can work in-house for anthropology. But if you don't know that that job exists, how can you get it? How can you seek that job out? That is key. That is why this book is so important. And so now there's this beautiful rise in awareness of career paths, thanks to people like you who are spearheading this conversation and really getting this information out there. And switching gears slightly, so there's there's a rise in the awareness of the career paths and people pursuing those jobs and not feeling like that means that you are only about expensive clothes and pretty things and you're brainless and uneducated, right? So we're, we're mm-hmm. getting past that. We're all growing up. Um, but there is also mm-hmm. this really beautiful rise happening in conversations about sustainability. Mm-hmm. And so now this is just us talking. We're just speculating here. But 
I want to know while I have you, how do you see the push for sustainable fashion and more conscious practices impacting the creation and selling of opulent designer pieces, luxury collections? So as you know, the Cursive Curator is unique in its position as a gallery space solely exhibiting fashion as art. So I always think about this as I see the conversations growing and I think that it's beautiful and I think we're moving in the right direction and so I'm wondering if this will even give us more reverence um, on gallery moments and exhibitions focusing on fashion um, and then just taking um, taking more of a beat and thinking more about what we're buying and and um, wearing more vintage pieces and doing more clothing swaps. I guess what I'm, I'm asking is and wondering is, are we moving into a space of creating fashion to exist in an either or market? So either sustainable everyday wear um, or items created for viewing rather than function. Wow. Okay, that was a question. Yeah. So <laughs> You know how my and, mind and, works by now. Well, but also this that question is just as loaded and just I think as, as layered as the as the reality of implementing, you know, that into the fashion industry. So a couple things. And I admittedly, um, I don't always have the most popular response. So You're welcome here. I, am, I don't either. I am often um, you know, the one I'm often the black sheep in a lot of these conversations. I can't necessarily say, you know, obviously what the future will be. I do believe that as um, as technology and access to technology has opened the floodgates of information, it has offered us, and I say us, I mean collectively the world, but specifically fashion people, um, more options. Right. And so I do believe that sustainability is important. And I do believe that um, it's important to obviously protect the earth and our natural resources. I don't know um, if it will directly impact couture or designer. And when I say that, for a couple reasons, A, it's not mass produced. So the consumption is not as effect is not it's we're not talking about you know um, product, private label from Macy's or like Cole right where they're doing or Zara where they're doing thousands or hundreds of thousands of the unit. So I think in that sense we can still um, and tell me if I'm getting off the question. So I think in that sense um, that art form will be preserved, right? I think mm-hmm. you almost still need it. Um, I also think, though, that this the, the last two generations are much more interested in experiences, and they buy not out of brand loyalty, but out of brand experience and Absolutely. what brand represents. So that's why even like a brand like Brandless can be so so successful because you know what this new generation could care less about Heinz ketchup. Heinz, Heinz, it doesn't matter. It's like it's <laughs> the taste like ketchup. They don't even need a label. This new, um, even in even when you look at packaging, marketing, a lot of stores are just called primarily what they do. Especially in New York, there's the wine stores are called drink or wine shop. You don't have to have a name that actually 
um, it's really about the it's the core function. And and I think that this these, this generation want that's what they want the core function of it. And and with that said, these um, the you know the increase. I mean, the vintage industry has like exploded. And it's funny to me that nineties era clothes are considered vintage, but that's I know. Story. <laughs> it's, I think it's hilarious. But yeah, I'm seeing um, a lot of my back to school outfits walking down the street now on people. Yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, and I'm like, nine. I mean, but but. Uh, on the flip side of that, with my experience, and which is all I can speak from, is that fashion has always been cyclical, right? And there really is nothing new under the sun, technically, right? We still need pants. We still put on pants with two legs most of the time. Sure. Um, a lot of the bodies are still the same. So I think the cyclical nature of trends and what people um, want to wear and desire, like grunge is back huge on the runways for New York fashion. Mm-hmm. You know, and they were talking about so much. There was so much grunge inspiration. And listen, I loved grunge. That was like the early night, like 93. I loved, loved, loved that. I'm big into cozy, luxe, casual. So um, that's super exciting for me. But again, um, it's, you know, I'm still seeing the recycling of trends. So with that said, every trend comes back. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't know how far removed we will be from from certain things. And then I don't know, to, to your point about, and tell me again if I'm getting off the question, but to your point about luxury items, there just are certain things that only certain fabrics function a certain way. Agreed. Only cashmere does what cashmere does. Right. Only silk, that's why we use it. Silk only does what silk only, only, right. only silk does that. You know what I mean? There's a drape and there's a luxe and there's a and there's an, a, a visceral experience with certain fabrics that only that fabric can give. And then, you know, the non-sustainable fabrics, the man-made fabrics, the acrylics and the polyesters, those were made to bring the cost. When we start talking fashion history here now, those Let's were talk produced it. to bring the cost of clothing down. Yes. Because in the beginning, when fashion, you know, in the 1800s, everyone wore silk and cashmere and cotton. You know, there weren't really, before, you know, the Industrial Revolution, there wasn't a lot of man-made fa- fabrics. That was made in a test tube, but that was made, these home, these handmade, man-made fibers were made to, to cut the cost of clothing so that we could be mass-produced. Because just like technology and the iPhone, that's what the railroad did. It opened up the world. It, that's, that, it opened up the world from one side of the country to the other, so once people got access to more, their desires increased and changed and grew. And strictly as an opinion, I want to add, I think that those man-made fibers that as you were listing them, I began to itch and get warm and feel all of the discomfort that that I've experienced with those. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing. Um, You know, and and we're in the middle of it, so it's a little hard to say, but it's very interesting that like a Forever 21 is out of business now. Yeah. You know, and I'm interested to to, to see if H&M will follow suit. Yeah. And I'm interested. I don't think Zara's going to hurt because their merchandise is so on trend. Always. And their quality has improved. Yes. When Zara first started, they were, they were, it was, it started, it was, it felt like H&M. Their quality of their merchandise has improved. So I think H&M, dare I say, has kind of become this generation in our Macy's. Mm. Right? Wait, H&M or Zara? I'm sorry, Zara. Zara. I'm sorry, yes. Zara. Because 
it, Macy's would be where you and your mom or where you ran in to pick up something really quick because you knew you could find something. That was going to be well, sharp and appropriate and on trend. I Thank see where you. you're going. And now, yeah. and now Zara has filled that gap and Macy's is closing 125 stores over the next 18 months. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. And again, you know, some of these, uh, the answers to these are still yet to be known because we're, we're, we're still in the throes of it. You know, I was having a conversation with a client that I consult because I also consult brands on brand strategies and how to grow. I help them write content for all of their marketing and media assets. And one of the conversations I was having with her is going into the 2020, what are you going to do this decade for your brand to compete? What's really important and what's happening in the market? And one of the things I was sharing with her were like not only with Macy's closing, but I was reading in Forbes that um, the in-store credit card business is almost dissolved. Like no one's getting, not only are they not applying, they're barely using your Victoria's Secret credit card, your Macy's credit card. So your individual credit, the individual credit card business not only has decreased, but it has hurt um, severely these major department stores because they could pay the rent on some of their stores just off the interest. Right, with those devilish rates. On your credit card, Mm -hmm. exactly. And you kept that credit card because you also got your home goods and you could pick up a gift. And you could... And you had your discount days and your special shopping experiences. And your Wednesday, but now you have Amazon. Absolutely. (laughs) you don't even have to leave your your car. And you get it in two days on Prime. Just saying. Exactly. So, but with that said, that income was drastically affected their bottom line over the last couple of years. So, um, and that's a, just a whole other conversation about the business. But one of the things that I offer, you know, to my consulting clients, is what are you going to do to offer something very similar to your customer, right? Because we know now online is huge and everybody that pretty much has a store has to have an online arm in order to survive. Yes, Right. But what are you doing to, you know, to offer or to replace some of those what I can call I'm doing air quotes like those concierge services? Mm-hmm. You know, so are you offering like deli? Are you offering, you know, afterpay? So which feels like a store credit card. Absolutely. For your brand. So those are the things that I think are really important, you know, for brands to pay attention to. Um, but again, to my point earlier, it's nothing new under the sun. Right. We're just recycling some of the trends that the customer it wouldn't in this in this instance it's a customer service trend so i'm just recycling Uh. it you know to reach your customer so i am interested to see um where everything goes and again with sustainability as well because the huge question is there's a reason why we choose lux fabric there's a reason why luxury is luxury and and one thing i may not know where sustainability is going definitely and I'm not definitive about a lot of things one thing I know for sure is there will always be a customer that wants to walk into Neiman Marcus and she wants her champagne and she wants to walk through the store and she wants to see what's new and she wants to try it on and she will never or he will never go away so there will always be a customer that wants customer service that will walk into a store that wants to talk to another human that wants to feel and try on and wants to have that you know, real visceral experience um, at, a, at, at a higher level, at a, at a more sophisticated level, not where there's like 17 of us holding our clothes trying to wait for the <laughs> sitting room. And there's no judgment. I'm just saying there's a re- luxury is a, 
there's a we have luxury for a reason. There's absolutely you know? no judgment. It's just reminding me of why. I left that line two Saturdays ago and went home and ordered something online. And I was never right. that woman, but I have become right. her. Well, and also in the fashion industry, so when I do that and I'm standing there and I'm checking my Amazon, I'm prime, you know, there you to go. see if Amazon has it and I'm standing <laughs> in the store, even if they don't have it. I just did that for my mom for hair color. And, you know, I'm like, I did not, I was like, I can't believe I just went to Rite Aid and CPS and I'm about to go three blocks to another store when I literally... Could ha- it'll be here by tomorrow morning. Right. So you're not doing it. You don't need it till tomorrow anyway. I was like, what? And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm that person. I'm that person. And for me, it was but, so I mean, hard. I kind of felt like a traitor because I, I got you, my, yes, I healthy. started my roots. They they started in retail, in brick and mortars. And so I, I hated, because, yeah, I hated seeing their, their demise at the hand of you know, all the dot-com operations, but it it really is, it's that focus. That's what happened to the middle market. When you lose focus of customer service, but they can log on from the comfort of their own home in their fuzzy slippers, if they're anything like me or in the car, you know, breaking the law at a stoplight and just place that order. In all fairness, they can't afford to hire enough people to cover the floor. Right. That's why there's no, that's why when you're, that's why you're literally looking around. To ask someone to help mm-hmm. you. I remember the last time I went to Macy's way out in Jersey. It was actually funny, but not funny. And um, I was doing an event for them, actually. I was hosting an INC event. And afterwards, I wanted to buy some of the things. But I wanted to some of the things that I hadn't worn during the event. I literally was standing there at the top at the dressing room just like waiting. And a woman, she was putting clothes back. She kept walking by and smiling. She's like, what are you waiting for? And I was like, I'm waiting for someone to put me in the dressing room. And she thought it was the funniest thing. She said, sweetheart, no one's putting you in the dressing room. Go in there and try. And I was like, oh, you don't need to know how many items I have. And she thought I, I was an anomaly. <laughs> yeah, and no one I, does that anymore. Me, it's just us. No one. She was like, no. she was like, honey, what are you? She's like, no, go in, try it. And I thought. You know what, again, the business side of me immediately was like, oh, my God, this is a nightmare for loss prevention. For asset protection, yes. I was like, this is a nightmare. I was like, oh, my gosh, who's in charge? And then I was like, you don't work there, it's fine. But, (laughs) um, you know, but in all fairness, get understanding that there's, you know, not enough money to pay, you know, for the staff, not enough, you know. and, And then what you're paying them, you know, for customer service, again, and I always say that, a good salesperson is worth their weight in gold. Yes. And good salespeople, and I don't care what you're selling. You can be selling widgets, insurance, cars. You can sell technology. You can sell clothes. And across all industries, something else I know to be true. Across any industry, a good salesperson and a clo- and someone can, who can close, not close like clothing, but close like close the close deal. Close the deal. Close the sale. Their, is, is, is worth their weight in gold and needs to be compensated as such. So... That's also something else I share with, you know, clients that I consult. I'm like, listen, be very prepared that if you need to bring in, you know, someone to really manage your sales, you have to be prepared to not only compensate them, but then give them a good package. That's the only way they're going to stay. You know, so there's just a lot of, there's, you know, there's it's, so it's many moving so parts to this. It's yeah. so many moving parts. It's not as simple as just producing, you know, a shirt. And then throwing it on someone on a runway, you know, sadly, which is what a lot of people think, 
you know, but there's so much more. And I think this takes us back to where we started. It's I've been seeing middle market uh, kind of wearing itself out for quite some time. And I think we're, we're seeing it now. We're looking at one end of just sustainable garments and more conscious practices and price points that make sense for all. And then we're looking at luxury luxury and a lot of people with my wholesale business side, a lot of people pull in the luxury product knowing that, the return that they're going to get on that allows the funds to trickle down and keep the business going and for them to bring in quality mm-hmm. associates to keep the business going. You know, so, yeah, I, I think um, I think we kind of came to a consensus here on what we see going on. Again, all speculation and we could talk about it for days. But and those iconic pieces and the pieces um, from, you know, designers who may lo- no longer be with us and designers that we currently admire just to see their work and to see what they were able to do with those fabrics that are no longer everyday fabrics. Mm-hmm. So while I have Agreed. you on the line, I want to address this quote with you by DVF. She says that, she has been able, and this was on her master class. Someone asked her, I think, why or the purpose of this master class that she did. Um, this goes back to 2017. She says that she's only been able to survive the fashion game this long because she did instinctively what is now being taught. And mm-hmm. in this moment, just like when I originally read it, I just throw my hands up Um and happiness, just in attributing this ability and approach to creating fashion as an art process. It's mm-hmm. that um, it's just it's intuitive. It's explorative. It's yeah. based in your imagination. It's expressive. Yeah. It's shameless plug. It's fashion is art. What did you take mm-hmm. from that? And you met her. So give uh, us the real. Well, so the totality of her life is so amazing to me. I mean, you know, she's a real princess, just sidebar. Yes. So she's like a real princess. So the fact that she even works as hard as she works is just like, her life has been so interesting, but she, her business has also had the ups and downs. You know, she at one point um, sold it, sold her name. And it was, um, oh my gosh, his name is me, and he owns Fury, and he owns uh, Alice and Olivia. And basically that's what he does. He comes in and he helps he finances brand and um but he doesn't take more than 51 percent, more than 49 percent. that's a good thing about andrew rosen yeah and he doesn't and he still leaves you with ownership but he came in and he helped her um come back after you know she initially introduced the wrap dress blah 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 what i take away from her quote um is not only is it absolutely true you know that what that's the beauty of fashion at its you know at its highest you know, couture level, it's dreamy, it's fantastical, it, it's transformative, it it, it, it it takes you away to a place that you're not, it can make you feel like a, a, a princess or a king, it can do all those things, so it's definitely transformative in that sense, um, so yes, it is art, you know, but it's also it's also a business. And is this part of what fuels you? Is it that same intuition and that same ability to just be so about your business, but still have such a bright imagination? Is that what gives you 
the balance to not only be able to create the type of book that you have, but to also be able to speak to this so clearly um, in front of so many different audiences. I mean, you and I spoke at the Howard University incubator for the students and, you know, the D.C. creative community, and it just comes out of your pores. You're very passionate about this, but it's not so by the book that you're stuck just speaking to what you wrote. You're able to really open your mind to the questions that you're being asked and, you know, get down in it and get creative with women that are starting over at 50 Mm -hmm. and students Mm -hmm. who are majoring Mm -hmm. in something very straight line, Mm -hmm. but want to take it to the creative side. Where does that come from? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, it really, the truth is, it just comes from having been there, and just it comes from my experience. You know, I've I've worked. I did another podcast, and it's so funny they titled it "Lessons Learned from Someone Who's Done Almost Every Job in Fashion." Ah. And I chuckled because it was I thought That's it was so, on so point. succinct and accurate and yeah. so on point. I'm like, you know what? You're right. I've been I've been a model, a salesperson, a road rep. I've been a merchandiser, a creative director a brand ambassador, a brand spokesperson. I've been a brand manager. I've been a consultant. I've run morning meetings. I've hosted, I've done pop-up shops. I've built trade show booths. I create line sheets. I write content. I've built websites for brands. I merchandise. I book model. I I can model. Um, I've done commercials in front of the camera where I'm telling a story. And so actually, that's what it is. It's I'm a storyteller. I am a storyteller at heart, and all those jobs I just named all required me to communicate a story about about what a brand is. Whether it's DVF or Ellen Tracy, I was her fit model. I was Nanette Laporte's fit model when she first started. Um, I'm able to basically grab the essence of what a brand transformative powers are, so to speak, mm-hmm. and communicate that to to an audience and so I think um, that also allows me to have this conversation across you know across the board like whether someone's doing intro to fashion or has never you know taken the technical fashion course and that doesn't even know what FIT is to the woman that's worked at the in the DC government and is going to retire at 50 but by no means wants to sit home you know and how and she'll travel for the first two years but you know what she loves fashion she wants to you know have a second career and I'm like girl take those that human resource skill and, you know, support all these online yes. that don't have anybody on the back end. Yes, yes, with yes. And make yourself a business. And now guess what? You're in the fashion industry. You're in the industry. So, yeah, so that I think it's um, my ability to storytell and my experiences that have allowed me to um, be able to speak across the board. And I'm grateful for that. You know, one of the things when you were saying about a myth being dispelled, one of the things that, you know, people have always in the past said about people in fashion that you were flighty or shallow, right? Or you were flighty or um, all you cared about is, is how you look, blah, blah, blah. And that's not true. If you, you can see just, the way that I just rolled my eyes, continue. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> because you know, I have so heard many, that. For so long it was dumbed down. Yes, you know, that and it's you baseless. Cared that much about the way you looked and what you put on it then that meant nothing else mattered as much to you. And that, that was somehow so far from all of your mental power is used yeah. to if, uh, if come up with any, the outfit for the day. Right. And there was like no brain cells left <laughs> to do anything else. So, right. Um, 
so I find it, you know, extremely um, rewarding, you know, that we yes. live in a time that now people look at it differently. But I never bought it, so it didn't matter. You know, I never bought into that. None of us did. We know better. It didn't matter. And I knew that, you know, I knew that I knew that I was, you know, I was more than that. I had more than that. And that's why I think I did so many jobs. And that's the other beauty about fashion. Another reason why I, I love the book is because it's not linear. And I say that all the time. Fashion is not linear. And rarely will your dentist start a podiatry practice. <laughs> Like your dentist will always be your dentist and your foot doctor will always be your foot doctor. But that doesn't mean that a stylist won't become a designer or, or a visual merchandiser won't become a fashion merchandiser for Barney, for a Bloomingdale's, forgive me, Barney's rest in peace. Or it doesn't mean that, you know, someone who started out, um, you know, as a production manager is now, you know, is running like a vintage store. You know, it's not linear in that sense. So I love, because it is so creative, you can use the skills that you've learned in other areas and other sub-industries within the fashion industry as a whole. And that is where we will end. Thank you for going down a few lanes with me of speculation. Um, and you are just, so welcome. Thanks for having me. Of course. And the Shameless Plug, you Please. call on Shameless. You can, my book, you can buy on my website in a paperback or an ebook. And it's www.tamikowhite.com. Um, and you can also follow me on Instagram at, at Tamiko White and Facebook as well. Same thing. Awesome. And we already do. We expect all of our listeners to join us in following Tamiko and definitely order your copy of the book. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.